Thank you, Gary, and thank you for being here this afternoon. We appreciate your presence always. We are encouraged by those who come back. I know that there are any number of places you could be this afternoon, and no doubt you probably got a lot on your plate later on today, but we're glad that you came back, and thank you for that. We are looking at Matthew chapter 9, the passage read a moment ago, verses 35 down through verse 38. And so I want to call your attention to this text and the title or the theme of our study today, Laborers Needed. If we're going to advance the cause of the kingdom of God, the Lord needs our heart and our hands. And so what we want to do is use whatever talent or ability that we have to help advance that kingdom. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 9 in our study today. And the first thing that I want to share with you as we talk about this subject, laborers needed, is that the Lord saw people in the harvest. Jesus is in Galilee, the northern part of Palestine. And the Bible says that while in that area or in that region, He was teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the Bible says he was healing all manner of disease and illness among those people. As I read, those, as I read that verse, there are some things that really stand out or leap out from the page. And that is, number one, Jesus was committed to people. And by that I simply mean Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was concerned about people. He cared about people. And he had compassion for people. Now you look around in our world today and there is a lost and dying world about us. And there are many people that are struggling and hurting and troubled, facing any number of trials in this life. And so what I think, what is needed from us is that we show care and compassion toward people. Now the Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them. The Bible tells us that Jesus demonstrated a lot of tremendous attributes throughout His ministry. But one of the characteristics that really stands out in His time here on planet Earth is His compassion. And that is the idea that Jesus was moved with pity. He had mercy on people and He understood people, didn't He? And so in this context, Jesus is healing people and He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom because He recognized that they had some intrinsic needs. And we're going to talk about those needs in just a moment or two. The great miracles that Jesus performed time and again, whether it be healing disease or sickness, raising the dead, all of those miracles really gave credibility or authenticity to His claims of deity. In other words, they confirmed the fact that He was who He claimed to be, the Son of God. So when we look around in the world today, sometimes it's easy for us to see the crowd, but to not see the people individually. And I think what stands out in my mind when I look at the life of Jesus and His ministry is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saw behind every set of eyes a human soul a soul that would live forever somewhere. And so I think that if we're going to be effective 
as members of the body of Christ and make a difference in a lost and dying world. We've got to see people as Jesus saw people. And one of the great, great things about Jesus, there's no doubt He came and broke down many, many social barriers. For example, Jesus Christ was willing to talk to Samaritans, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, a woman that was despised by the Jews of her day. And then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to cross barriers in terms of how others viewed people based upon their work or occupation, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was willing to reach out to people who were struggling with sin and unrighteousness. Why was that? Well, He understood His mission on earth, didn't He? And Jesus understood that the key to unlocking the door to reaching people was the gospel, that is, the kingdom of God. So we have to see people in a world that's filled with about 8 billion people. Do we realize the fact that out of every single human on planet earth, represents or is representative of a human soul, a soul that will live forever. I mentioned this morning the fact that Peter said that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you look at Jesus and His constant interactions with people. Why was that? Because He saw people and He saw behind the eyes of those people, a soul that would live forever. Now, there's a second thing. Number one, Jesus saw the people in the harvest, but secondly, the Lord Jesus saw the potential in the harvest. Now, the Bible says He was moved with compassion because He saw the people, and they were weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Look at our world today. Are there not people in our world today who are weary and burdened and troubled and hurting? Sure there are. You know, how often do we see people and we ask the question, how are you doing? And what's the typical response? All is well. When sometimes, really, deep down inside, we're hurting, we're burdened, we're facing troubles and trials that maybe some people could never imagine. Or understand because they, they haven't been where we are. But Jesus could look at people, He could look at this crowd of people, this multitude of people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He knew where people were in life. And not only did He know where people were in life, but Jesus knew what people needed in life. What's the most basic, fundamental need of man today. Now we would probably say food, water, shelter. There are things that we all have to have to survive. They're just basic intrinsic needs. But in another way, there are things that we need that maybe we don't know we need. Are there people in our world today that need the gospel? that need the blood of Christ in their life? Yes. I know that we live in a day and time when the idea of Christianity has been watered down. And some would see it as optional. 
It's really not that big of a deal. If it works for you, hey, fine, but it may not be my cup of tea. Well, what people need to understand is we all need the Lord. Jesus knew something about mankind. He knew. He knew where people were in life. And not only did He know where people were in life, but He knew what they needed. Again, go back to John chapter 4. I mentioned a moment ago, the woman at the well. Here's a lady that Jesus asked a drink of water from. Now she thought, based upon their conversation, that he was talking about physical water. But really what he was talking about, I mean, he began the conversation by asking a drink of water from her. But deeper than that, he had something else to offer her. What was that? Spiritual water. And so... Here's a lady, she's been married five times. She's now living with a man. How many people do you think would just write somebody off like that and say, you know what, they're really, I mean, they're not interested. The Lord didn't do that, did He? Why was that? Because He was interested in her as a human being. Again, going back to the idea that the Lord, He cared about people. He was concerned about people. He had compassion for people. We will never reach a lost and dying world until we care about people, until we realize where they are in life and what they need in this life. In John chapter 6, Jesus talks about how He is the bread of life and how those who follow Him must eat of that bread and drink of His blood. And the idea is that we have to buy into what He's selling, okay? What is it He's selling? A better way of life? I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Couldn't we all say that Christianity has bettered our lives? We say, well, how so? Well, number one, to know that we don't have to deal with the problem and the burden or guilt of sin. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven. To know that we have been pardoned by God and we have peace with God. We have the peace that passes all understanding. His presence abides with us day in, day out. We have a home in heaven awaiting us. So we got all these great blessings. And the idea of the gospel, or really the thrust of the gospel is to share what we have with other people. To let people know, look, there's something better. In John chapter 6, when Jesus talked about being the bread of life, you remember when those disciples began walking out and walking away from Him, and He turned to the twelve and said, you know, will you also go away? What Jesus, what was what was it that they said back to Jesus? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. So the blood of Christ is what makes the difference in the lives of people. We go from lost to saved, in effect. I like in Ephesians 2, verse 13. Paul had just talked about people who are without hope and without God. In verse 13 he said, but now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off are brought near, made near, by what means? By the blood of Christ. And to know that in Ephesians 2.16, Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body. That's the church. The beauty of the church is it brings people together from varying backgrounds. It brings them together and allows them to live together in harmony. There are a lot of social injustices that take place in our world today. 
There's prejudice and racism, and there are any number of problems that we're facing in this country, not just here, but around the world. So how do you deal with all those injustices? And how do you right the wrongs that are so prevalent in society? You preach and teach the gospel, don't you? The gospel is the answer. I think that's why Paul, when he wrote to the saints in Rome, I think that's why he could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Think about the Hebrew writer in chapter 4, verse 12, when he said, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word and obedience to the gospel can bring satisfaction and contentment to a life that formerly had been dissatisfied and discontent. That's what the gospel does. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you, and I want to make some application to our study. First, Jesus, or the Lord, saw the people in the harvest. And the Bible tells us that in that context, He saw potential in them, He saw something in them, but He also saw the problem in the harvest. And what was that problem? Do you remember? Jesus said that He saw the people, they were weary and scattered, they were distressed and troubled and burdened. But then He said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord would send forth reapers or laborers into the harvest. So let's just talk for a moment or two about that deficiency. I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places recently. And just about everywhere I've been, whether it's been Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, wherever, I have seen, you just wouldn't believe, the crops that are grown all across this country. And the time is coming very soon when it will be harvest time. And then you'll see those big combines out, and they'll be bringing in the harvest. Well, Jesus, He said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And so, He said, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into His harvest. So what's He saying? Jesus is saying, by way of demand, that laborers are needed. He needs our help to advance His cause or His kingdom, doesn't He? So, that being the case, we might ask the question on a personal level, what can I do to help further the kingdom in this community. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do collectively? Imagine if you can, if every member of the body of Christ right here, and not just in this congregation, but congregations all across our brotherhood, if every single member bought in 100%, and every single member was zealous, as Paul talked about in Titus 2, verse 14, of good works. In other words, man, we're ready to go. So what can we do? What can I do? Well, the ultimate goal, the ultimate work of the church, matter of fact, we could boil it down and say, the primary work of the church is evangelism, isn't it? Jesus said, before He ascended to heaven, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then, you remember, he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are to be evangelistic in our endeavors. And the goal is to reach out to a lost and dying world, people who are plagued by the problem called sin. And make no mistake, Paul said, all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God. So if our goal is to reach out to people, every one of us, we all have the responsibility of teaching one. That is, trying to teach somebody the gospel. It might be the case that as members of the body of Christ, we don't feel, we don't feel like we have adequate knowledge to teach someone. Now, I think we can all at least tell somebody what we did to become a Christian. Did you know that 86% of people who attend church services, 86% of those people attend because a friend invited them? So it might be the case that you don't feel like you have the ability to teach one, okay? That being the case, could I encourage you to invite one? You get them in the door, and we'll do our best to teach them, to try to encourage people. You know, there are a lot of different things that congregations do to try to get people inside the doors. But the fact of the matter is, the greatest opportunities lie with those people that are closest to us, whether they're friends, family members, co-workers, classmates, people in our neighborhood. And so it goes back to, number one, we got to teach I want to encourage all of us to try to teach one. Invite one. Look at the life of Jesus and look at his ministry. How often do you think he was inviting people to come to him? It was a constant theme, wasn't it? In Matthew chapter 11, didn't Jesus say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden? Can we not invite people to come? Let me tell you somebody that was a master at that. He'd been gone for several years now. Eddie Archer. Let me tell you what, that guy had an ability to bring people to services every time the doors were open. And it really didn't matter where he was, at the gym, at work, whatever. You could rest assured that fellow was going to invite somebody to services. I have yet to see his equal here. I don't know anybody like him. So there is a need to teach one, invite one. Let me tell you another thing we can do. We can show that we care for one. Didn't Paul say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? What's the old saying? People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Are there people in our world today, they need, some, they need to feel as if they're cared for? Sure. Look at Jesus in His teaching in Matthew chapter 25 when He talks about His return. And you've got folks that had ministered to others in His name. Why'd they do that? Because they cared. Jesus said, I was hungry. What'd you do? You gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Naked, He said, you clothed me. Stranger, He said, you took me in. Sick and in prison, you visited me. What was He saying there? He was saying that here are people that showed that they genuinely cared about others. 
mentioned a moment ago that the Lord demonstrated commitment to people. He was concerned about people. He cared about people. He was compassionate. So what about us? You know what? The world that we live in is cold and hard, filled with animosity and hatred in many, many places. And there are some who feel like they are nothing more than a number in a system. Well, Jesus didn't see people like that, nor should we. And let me just go on to say this. When people have those needs, to try to meet those needs. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 6.10? As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So we ought to show how much we care for one another. And then there's another thought here. And that is as God's people, Christians, can't we pray for one another? When you think about what Jesus is saying here, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. It might be that you're working with somebody or that you come into contact with somebody day after day after day. And maybe they're not a member of the body of Christ and they're hurting deeply. They're struggling. As Jesus said, they're weary. They're distressed. They're burdened. They're scattered like sheep with no shepherd. They're wandering aimlessly through life. And their life has been turned upside down. And yet, as a Christian, you say, you know what? I'm praying for you. I want you to know that despite all your troubles, all your heartaches, all the things that you're dealing with in this life, I want you to know I'm praying for you. In John chapter 17, before Jesus went to the cross, do you know what He did for us? He prayed for us. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them that will believe on me through their word. Jesus was praying for disciples of all ages. Paul, look at the writings of Paul. Paul spent a lot of time praying for people. But Paul would also turn to others, like the church in Thessalonica, and say to those saints, brethren, pray for us. Can we pray for others? Sure. It might be if we'll invite one, if we will show that we care about, quote-unquote, the one, if we share with the one, if we pray with the one, it might be that that will unlock the door that will lead them to Christ. There's no easy way to do it comes down to just boots on the ground, trying to reach out to people and to share with them the gospel of Christ. And so you look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus is looking out over all these great people. He's preaching, He's teaching, He's doing that in an effort to get them where they needed to be. So when we preach and teach and encourage, invite when we share with others and show that we care about others, what's the goal in all that? The goal is to lead people to Christ. There are people right now in this community, I can tell you right now without any doubt, there are people in this community 
that if we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to them, they would tell us in a very emphatic way, they'd say, I'm a train wreck. My life's off the tracks. I never imagined I'd be where I am today. And I'm weary and hurting and burdened. I'm dealing with things that I never imagined would come my way. That's that's the world we live in. And so if we're going to make a difference in this world, then we have to adopt an attitude that says we care. We have to have compassion like Jesus did and be moved with compassion and reach out and to the best of our ability try to help those around us. I want to close by asking you a question. I want you to think about this for a minute. Just ponder this question, maybe not just now, but over the next few days, just think about this question. Who will be in heaven because of you? Who's going to be in heaven one day because of you? Because you took the time to evangelize because you took the time to restore them, because you took the time to try to help them. No one is an island unto himself. It's my conviction that if we get to heaven, we will get to heaven because of the efforts of others. And if we get to heaven... There will be others there because of our efforts. Evangelize, yes. Encourage, yes. An example, yes. So who's going to be in heaven because of you? I look back and I can think about people that had tremendous influence in my life. I don't think I'd be where I am today if it weren't for some people. I can think right now of a buddy of mine. And I've told him this. I said, had you not been there for me when I was facing some tough times, I wouldn't be here today. So who are you going to influence for the cause of Christ. And when that day comes, when we stand before the Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to look over that sea of people and see someone's smiling face, a redeemed person who will be in heaven forever because we had some small part in their faithfulness, their conversion to Christ, Leave here today determined to make a difference. We make a difference. No question. Jesus made a difference radically in this world. And as His people, we are to make a radical difference in the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your great love for us. And we thank You for for Jesus and for His teaching, His preaching. 
His influence, example. Help us to become more like Christ. And Father, we pray that you would give us a heart for people. Help us to see ourselves as laborers in your kingdom. We pray, Father, that we would give you our heart and our hands to advance your cause. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this afternoon, you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and obey the gospel. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord, and you'll do what they did on Pentecost Day and be baptized into Christ, that baptism preceded by faith, repentance, confession. The Bible says you'll enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. God will put you in the church. You'll be numbered among the saved, Acts 2.47. Then be faithful. Serve the Lord daily. Live a steadfast, immovable life. And remember what Paul said. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Your labor is not vain in the Lord. The Bible says God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. What you do in His name will be remembered. And to those who have served Him faithfully, He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you need to come home. We'd love to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.